0: Paul warns us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and authorities. Paul isn't frightened, and he doesn't try to frighten us. Rather, he tells us how we can be strong in the Lord and stand up against the enemy and his forces of darkness that attack us regularly. If you've been failing, it's time once again to put on the full armor of God. Here's Pastor Alan. Trouble with in-laws. It's considered to be the third biggest problem that married couples have to deal with. Have you ever noticed how many mother-in-law jokes there are out there? Um, I found a Korean proverb that says, I don't know if it, it says it's Korean. I have no idea because I'm not Korean, but it, it, it says it's a Korean proverb, and it says, brace yourself, toilets are like mothers-in-law. The farther away, the better. Now, I don't know if that really is. Uh, I'll have to check with my Korean brethren afterwards. Here's another one. Um, I haven't spoken to my mother-in-law for two years. We haven't quarreled. I just don't like to interrupt her. There's another one. Now, I don't recall in my 46 years as a Christian ever hearing a sermon about the in-laws. And this uh, series on the family uh, made me really think about all of our connections. And, uh, And so today, for the first time, this is a historic morning, for the first time in 33 years of ministry... I'm going to preach a sermon about the in-laws. Thank you, John. Now, maybe one of the reasons why I haven't done a sermon on the in-laws is, first of all, it's, it's not one of, the, one of the popular sermon themes out there. Um, maybe it's too specialized a subject, because when I look around here today, I see that there are a number of people that don't have in-laws, uh, in fact, these first two rows here, most of the people in the first two rows don't have in-laws. Uh, that won't be uh, the truth for long for Laura and Scott. Um, but maybe some of you today have never been married, and so you're thinking, well, oh, a message on the in-laws, it doesn't apply to me, so I'm just going to tune Pastor Allen out and watch some video clips on my phone. Please don't do that. And I'll tell you why, because the principles that I'm going to share with you this morning can apply very easily to any relationship that you have. So please don't tune me out. Hear what I've got to say. Um, for those of you who have outlived your, your in-laws, uh, please, uh, again, uh, hear what I've got to say. And you'll see that these principles uh, easily cross over into all your other relationships. Now, let me just say this. In-laws, and again, this is something I just discovered. I didn't really pay any attention to this before. But in-laws are, are prominently featured in the Scriptures. And we often hear about fathers, and we hear about mothers, and we hear about brothers and sisters, but we don't often hear about the in-laws. In fact, in-laws are mentioned some 200 times in the Scriptures. That's quite shocking, quite surprising. And I've learned that if the Lord has inspired the writers to speak of in-laws, then we should not ignore this. We need to pay attention, and we need to learn from whatever it is that God wants us to see. Did you notice that when Noah built the ark, he didn't just take his sons and say, oh, you're not my family, girls. You're just the in-laws out. Didn't say that. He treated them like they were his own flesh and blood. So of course, he took his sons onto the ark and he brought his daughters-in-law as well. In fact, we find the in-laws mentioned in all all the first five books of the Bible. In fact, many of the books of the Bible mention the in-laws. The book of Ruth, Remember we did the series on the book of Ruth? How many remember that? You remember that? Just kind of nod or wink at me. But you'll you'll notice that the book of Ruth is all about an in-law. It's all about a daughter-in-law. In fact, the book is named after Naomi's daughter-in-law. And just to bring you up to speed, Naomi and her husband, uh, Elimelech, he goes off to Moab because Israel's experiencing uh, famine. And while she's there... She has a couple of sons with her husband and uh, the sons grow up, they get married and then for whatever reason, her husband and her two sons die and she is left with her daughters-in-law. And I just wanna to read to you this passage of scripture because it's a point where Ruth or uh, Naomi decides, I gotta go back home. What am I gonna do here? My husband's dead, my sons are dead. There's nothing here for me. And so he, she, she tells her daughters-in-law Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, and um and Ruth, look at just go back to your own people, back to your own gods, your own land, your own people. And so let me just pick up there. And it says here, it says, and and again they wept together, because women do that. Right, Robin? And and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi, said to her. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Not just a typical mother-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And then it really gets serious. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me. Severely, if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing. Wow. What an amazing daughter in law. And what an amazing mother in law. Because Naomi embraced her daughter in law as though she were her very own daughter. This morning, I want to talk to each and every one of us about our in-laws, about our relationships with our in-laws. I want to talk about uh, about what we can learn from the in-laws that the Bible so prominently speaks about. So what does the Bible say about in-laws? Well, one of the stories that has really intrigued me over the years, and I often think of it, just because it seems... Uh, Almost like it doesn't belong in the passage, and so I'm going to read to you another passage of scripture. This time from the New Testament, and don't put any slide up yet. Just just wait till I'm, I'm, I ask for it. It's from Matthew chapter eight, verses fourteen to seventeen. Now Jesus has been traveling around, doing his ministry. He's healing people. He's he's uh, raising the dead. He's doing all kinds of wonderful things, healing people with leprosy, and uh, and Peter's. He says to the Lord, Lord, I got to go home. My mom's not well. My mother-in-law's not well. And uh, Peter sends word for Jesus, please, you got to come to my house. And that's where we pick up. Verse 14 of Matthew chapter 8. It says, when Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's, not yet, not till I say, (laughs) please. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who took, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. Now, we read that and we think, oh, the writer of Matthew is just throwing in a little tidbit there so that, uh, because it's interesting, the mother-in-law got healed. But I think there's far more to this. Now, remember, the Bible clearly speaks of in-laws. And if the Bible clearly speaks of that, you need to understand it's not there by accident. There's something that God wants us to learn from it. One of the things I've discovered about Scripture is that it's not just major themes that we learn, but there's a lot of minor themes, a lot of minor issues that we can apply to our own personal situation, to our own lives. So now put up that passage of Scripture. And look at this again. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her, Then she got up and did what? Now, every time I think of that, I just think that's really pretty cool. Can you imagine this poor woman, sick in bed? She's sweating profusely. Everybody thinks she's going to die. And what's going through Peter's head? Does he wonder who's going to be preparing his meals if his his mother-in-law dies? I don't know. I don't know what's going through his head. But the interesting thing is, is that Jesus touches her hand. And in that moment, the Bible says the fever left her. And then immediately she gets up and prepares a meal for her, or for them. The Lord wants us to see the partnership between son and mother-in-law. God wants us to see this. You say, Pastor John, what are you talking about, partnership? All it says here is that Jesus touched her and healed her. But here's what happens, folks, when you don't read scripture in context. I read to you what followed this, what followed this healing of this woman. Right after this woman is healed, the Bible says that evening. So there's a progression, there's a flow here. It doesn't speak of this as a separate event, it speaks of this as as an ongoing event. So Jesus comes to the house, he heals the mother-in-law, the mother-in-law is healed. She gets up, she prepares a meal so that in the evening when they are doing their ministry and so that people can be healed and demons can be cast out, you recognize that Jesus ministers to the mother-in-law and then the mother-in-law ministers to Jesus so that Jesus then can minister to the sick and to the demon-possessed. Do you see the partnership that's going on here? I don't believe that's there by accident. Do you, Scott? I don't. Wise man for agreeing with me. It's there for a reason. So here's what you and I need to understand. Your mother-in-law and your father-in-law, they're a blessing to you. You say, Pastor Ellen, you don't know my mother and father-in-law If you only knew. No, you know what they are. God gave you those in-laws because he knows that you need them. Your job is to discover what it is that you need to learn from them. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. So if one set of parents is a blessing, imagine what a blessing two sets of parents are. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. When my sister-in-law's sons were getting married and she was crying about it, I said, don't think of it as losing a son, think of it as... Gaining a daughter. She hit me. Look, it's a change of attitude, isn't it? We begin to recognize that the people that God has brought into our lives are not there by accident, but by design. And so you may be sitting here today thinking about your in laws and thinking no good thing about them. What you need to do is you need to begin to see things through spiritual eyes. You need to begin to see the way God sees. Let me share with you another example. It was the one that was mentioned in the video clip this morning. Moses, he's the leader of Israel. Look at he's done amazing things. He's gone before Pharaoh, he's done miracles, turning, turning the Nile River to blood and throwing down his, his rod and it becomes a snake. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's challenged the greatest leader of the world at that time, he talks to God every day. He gathers his people, over a million Jews, out of Egypt. He leads them single-handedly through the desert, uh, b- brings them to the river, or to the, to the water, the Red Sea, takes his rod, slams it down. You know, how, you know how the story goes. The water splits and all of Israel comes across to the other side. Here's a guy that seems very, very proficient, efficient, gifted, skilled. Is there anything that you could teach this guy? I mean, he knows everything. He's got powers. He's got amazing ability. He talks to God every day. Is there really anything that you could really tell Moses? Some of us think we're kind of like Moses. We're really quite self-sufficient. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm very gifted, I'm very skilled, I'm educated. Here's Moses judging the people of Israel because at that time there were no courts, there were no judges. Moses was the judge. If a person had a problem, they went to Moses. Moses, help oh, you gotta sort this out. And uh, Moses, the wonder man, clearly worn out. And it's his father-in-law who comes along not Moses' siblings, watch this. It wasn't Moses' siblings, it wasn't Aaron, it wasn't Miriam. It wasn't Moses' own parents. It wasn't Moses' best friends. It wasn't the people he was closest to. It was his father-in-law that reached out to him. And when Moses' father-in-law saw Moses judging the disputes between the Israelites day and night, and he saw how his son-in-law, was worn out. He says, what are you really accomplishing here, Moses? Now, for many of us, we would feel offended. We feel like, how dare you interfere? How dare you stick your nose in? Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? And he says, this is not good, Moses. This is not good. That's the father-in-law speaking to Moses. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. The father-in-law is telling Moses, it's not just you that's affected, it's everybody else. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle by yourself. And the father-in-law says, now listen to me. Uh, This is where most of us would get our backs up. This is where most of us would say I am not listening to my mother-in-law. I'm not listening to my father-in-law. Do you? I can tell you. And we're going to see this in a moment. Moses' father-in-law probably saved his life. And so what are the principles and that God wants us to learn here? Well, I said that there were a few principles here that anyone could apply to any relationship with the people in their lives, not just to the in-laws. But before I share with you these principles, and there's just just two main principles I want to get across to you today, there's probably more, but there's two main ones. Let me first address why there is so often stress between us and our in-laws. Can we do that for a moment? Can we stop and think about it? The first thing you need to understand is that you've got two completely different people coming together, two completely different people, two completely different families. The best example that I can point to is the example of Gloria and myself. I come from a home, my dad's a plumber, I come from a plumber's home, a little rough around the edges. <laughs> Thanks, Tom a little rough around the edges and, uh, and maybe not as sophisticated or, uh, or as we would say, as delicate. Gloria's family, Gloria's dad is a pastor, her, her mother is a nurse, um, maybe, uh, maybe along more of the professional line of things. And so here's the daughter of a minister and the son of a plumber coming together, and we're going to try to make a life together. And uh, in case you're wondering how it went, we've been married over 26 years. And for that, Gloria, you can take a bow. (laughs) The miracle is not that we get along with our in-laws. The miracle is that we get along with each other. And that's the case for all of us here today how on earth did the two of you ever come together and how on earth did you ever stay together? And I look out here today and I see all kinds of different couples and wonder how on earth, and yet there you are together. And then we wonder why we struggle, why we have a hard time with our in-laws. Well, the fact is, is that you're two different families coming together. Now, here's the problem, is that because there's, because the others are different, because the in-laws are different, we're tempted to think that their way is wrong. It's not necessarily wrong, it's just different. We're so convinced that our way is the right way and that her family's side is the wrong way. It's like, oh, got to deal with the, with the in-laws. I love the story of a young man, and woman that got married, and he watched his young wife preparing breakfast for him. She cooked the eggs and then and then was cooking, actually was cooking the sausages first, then the eggs, and he noticed that she was cutting off the ends of the sausage. That's a young couple, they don't have much money. He's busting his butt trying to work hard and provide a living, and he says to her, why on earth are you cutting off the ends of the sausages? You're wasting that food. And the new young wife is really quite offended and hurt by that. Are you saying I don't know how to prepare food? Sausages, the easiest food on the world. You're saying I don't know what I'm doing? Well, I don't know why you're cutting off the ends of the sausages. I mean, that's good food. You're wasting it. Well, my mother always did it that way. And if it's good enough for my mother, it's good enough for us. So one day, mom and dad or in-laws are over and the man asks his mother-in-law, mom, or for so many of us, uh, hey, you. <laughs> Why did you cut the ends off the sausages? And the mother said, "Oh, that's that's easy because my frying pan wasn't big enough." <laughs> How many fights could be averted? If rather than passing judgment, we just stop to consider, maybe there's another way. So that's the first reason why there's friction. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong and you're right. It just means it's different. Now, can I just give you counsel? Those of you who are struggling with your in-laws, those of you who are going to have in-laws, but I'm assuming you'll all be having in-laws at some point in time, When you go into your marriage, you don't go in to try to change them or try to get them to to do it your way or see it your way. What you need to do is you need to go in to understand them. Seek not to be understood, but to understand. The second reason why we have stress between in-laws is for that very reason. My way is better. And I'm gonna try to convince you that my way is better. What we need to do is rather than trying to make people understand that my way is better, what I need to do is I need to understand. And I'm gonna tell you, when I first married Gloria, I didn't understand her ways, all her ways. I mean, we were pretty compatible and we understood each other a lot because we we talked all the time. But it was two different families coming together. So what I needed to do is I needed to understand her family and the way her family did things. I'm gonna tell you, That absolutely changed everything. I was really quite shocked at the differences that existed between Gloria and myself. But here's the thing, folks. I not only learned to love what was different, I ended up adopting adopting as my own many of the things that Gloria and her family did. And I saw in her and her family, uh, just first of all, amazing character, excellent character. And I think one of the big things for me was the way that my mother-in-law was always so very good at praising her children and praising her grandchildren. And I found myself trying to do the same thing. What are you learning from your in-laws? And do you understand that different doesn't mean wrong? That's where the friction comes in. Now, what are the things then that God wants us to learn? Here are the principles that you need to adopt and use. First of all, you need to look at these this new family that's come into your life. You need to look at them as your partners, your partners in life, or, or your new, the new team, or the new members of the team. So when Gloria and I got married, it was uh, Alan Gloria Duncalf Incorporated, uh, and and children and and we're our own unit. But guess what? We've got a team. I got we've got two sets of parents, we've got two sets of siblings. We've come together, and I'm gonna tell you that Glory and I are stronger today because of our in-laws, not in spite of them. Did you get that? The people who marry into the family are not the outlaws. They're to be treated as blood relatives who have valuable contributions to make. Look at Peter again. Here's Peter. Took good care of his mother-in-law by having Jesus come and heal her. And then the mother-in-law took care of her son-in-law and Jesus and the demon possessed. And she took care of the sick. You see how's that, Pastor Allen? Well, Jesus explains it in this principle, Matthew ten. 41. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, then you will be given the same reward as a prophet. Did you get that? It's not just the prophet who receives a reward for being a prophet and doing the prophet's work, but the one who takes care of the prophet also receives a prophet's reward. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks For God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. Did you get that? So when you and I are partnering with the people that God has brought into our lives, we're we're really functioning as a team. When I played hockey, um, if one person on the team scored, guess what? We all scored. It wasn't just the centerman who walked away and said, Well, I won this game. No, it's we won this game. And when they put the score up on the board, they don't put the name of the guy who scored the goal on the board. Right? Isn't that how it works? It's Canada versus the USA. We don't just say it was the guy who scored the goal that won. All of Canada won. Right? We won. Don't, is, that what, is that the language we use? We won. So you need to understand that about, the, about your family, but the people that God's brought into your life—the people that you are stuck with—you need to start seeing them through different eyes. You need to start seeing them as God's gift to you. Oh, Pastor Ellen, why? Don't never mind my in-laws. My spouse is not a gift to me. Yeah. That spouse is your gift. Even the ones that we would call grace growers, the ones who are difficult, God allows you to have those people in your life to grow grace in you, to make you a better person, to knock off your rough edges. But we're so quick to write people off and to eliminate people, but that's not God's way. So the first principle then is you need to look at the people that God's brought into your life as your partners. The people that God has brought into your life are there because God knows you need them. I'm gonna tell you, I thank God for my mother and for my father and for my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and my brothers-in-laws and my sisters-in-law. I I thank God for all of them, man. We are a team. Second principle I need to point out to you is that you need to... You need to know that <laughs> you you need them. There's something you can learn from them. You see, Pastor, there's nothing I can learn from my in-laws. Yeah, there is. You need to be like Moses, humble Moses, who was very quick to listen to the advice of his father-in-law he might very easily have said, do you know who I am? I talk to kings. I talk to God. God talks to me. I've got God's phone number and he's got mine and you're gonna come to me and give me advice? Moses understood that not only was his father-in-law his partner in doing the work that he was called to do, but he also had something to learn from his father-in-law. That's a wise person. A wise person says, I can learn from anybody. I can learn from a child. So here's what we read in Exodus 18.20. Moses' father-in-law says to Moses, teach them God's decrees, Moses. Moses. And give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. And then you won't be spending all this time having to judge them. They'll be able to figure it out themselves. The first thing Moses' father teaches them, teach these people what the rules are. Teach them how to live with each other. Teach them how to treat each other. And the second thing, Moses' father-in-law, his name is Jethro, by the way. He says, appoint capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of one thousand and one hundred and fifty, and then 10. In other words, Moses, you need to have a hierarchy of leaders who will take care of the people so it doesn't all rest on your shoulders. It's not getting you anywhere. It's burning you out. You're not going to make it. You're going to die of stress and overwork. And then I love this passage of Scripture. To me, this is one of the most miraculous verses in the whole Bible, Exodus chapter 18, verse 24. It says, then Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed, wow. So Moses listened to to God, had an audience with Pharaoh, and he had an audience with his father-in-law. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Are you too proud, too arrogant to listen to the advice of others? Listening to advice and good counsel is never easy and our pride always gets in the way, especially if our mother-in-law or our father-in-law has offended us. And remember, because you're you're different, your family is different from your wife's family and vice versa, the odds of your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law offending you are great, it's gonna happen. Scott, your mother-in-law, I know her well. She would never purposely offend you. I don't think. (laughs) But if she does, it's purely an accident. Don't hold it against her. We need to learn what it means to humble ourselves and learn from the people around us. This is the attitude of Christ who humbled himself and was able to learn from anybody. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, healing people, teaching people, talking to people, shaking people's hand, And then some parents came along and they had the audacity. I mean, can you believe this? They wanted Jesus to bless their kids. Oh, And the disciples are like, he's busy. He's got important people to talk to. He's got scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. He's got the highest people in the land who want an audience with him. Don't bother Jesus with these children. And what did Jesus say? hold on a minute here, you guys. Let the little children come to me. In fact, Jesus takes a child, puts a child here, and says to everybody who's got ears to hear, including the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers, Jesus says, do you know what kind of faith you need to have? You need to learn from this child. Wow. Wow. You need to learn from this little child here. I'm going to tell you, folks, it takes humility. It takes a gentle, humble heart to say, God, I'm willing to learn from this child, and yes, even from my mother in law. You know, I was thinking about my own in laws. And before I just, I just want to say one more thing. You know, I'm going to tell you something really quickly here. Let's throw this in. It's no extra charge. You know, when you get hurt and get offended by your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, who I'm sure wouldn't do it on purpose unless they're psycho cases, in which case you need to understand that and just live on a different level and learn. You let anger into your heart. And the Bible says you give the devil a foothold. And as soon as you give the devil a foothold, your heart becomes hard and you cannot be reasoned with. And I'm going to say this to you today. Make up your mind early, Scott and Laura. Can you sit here in the next service? That'd be really helpful. Make up your mind. Everybody, make up your mind not to allow resentment to fill your heart. Do not allow your heart to become bitter or angry or resentful. And by the way, can I say this to you, parents? If you are going to resent your in-laws, your kids are gonna learn to do exactly the same thing. And you are setting your kids up for failure and they're gonna have problems with their in-laws. You need to teach your children how to respect and honor and love your in-laws and they'll do the same thing with theirs. And that will guarantee them a happy life. Let me just say this in closing. I was thinking about, about my in-laws. And you know what? I, I didn't even know this. Dennis Barrett spoke to my brother-in-law, Bill Swiston, and had Bill redo that room in the corner. Is that right? Dennis just nod. He, he redid that room. He, he, he drywalled it and painted it, took care of the whole thing. He, he did the, de- the demolition, and I think he moved the vacuum, cleaner. Did it all. I didn't even know he was doing it. And one day I walked in there, it's fantastic, it's beautiful. And Dennis says to me, well, your brother-in-law did it. I said, what? That's the kind of brother-in-law I've got. In fact, just on Friday, I had some advice I needed about the parking lot. And I gave him a call and uh, very, very generously gave me some really great advice. I've got a great sister-in-law. Her name's Mary Jane. I consider her a sister. It's been a blessing to me personally and to my family. I think of my parents-in-law, Gloria's mom and dad. Respect them, see them as wise, godly people of the very highest character. Thank God for their influence, not just on me, but on my children. And my other-in-laws, I respect them. I don't always understand them, because we're different. But different doesn't mean wrong, just means different. I can tell you that I work hard Maintaining good relationships, I'm not always successful and sometimes will vent or complain a bit to my wife. I'm being honest with you, I'm not perfect. Anybody shocked at that? But I can tell you, I thank God for every one of my in-laws. And it's all about relationship, folks. And about these two important principles see the people that God's brought into your life as your partner for you to get through this life and secondly as people that you can learn from that takes humility it takes a willingness to resist the temptation to hold resentment and anger or bitterness in your heart that changes everything it's called walking in humility would you stand with me please father thank you so much for your presence here And thank you, God, for the lessons we learn about in-laws. Father, we love your word. It's so jam-packed full of excellent wisdom and advice to help us get through this life. And so, Father, as we are focusing on the family over these past number of weeks, we pray, God, that you would help us strengthen our relationships and make sure that our, our families are strong. And God, help us, we pray now, to deal with our in-laws, not as though they're outlaws, but as as true relatives that you have brought into our lives. And so we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you for your grace and thanking you for the wisdom that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell the people beside you, love your in-laws.